All right, well, if you um, joining us for the first time, the first time in a while, see some of our college students back. Welcome back, guys. Um, we, let me tell you about where we've been and where we're headed and then why we're here uh, as far as this sermon today. So we, uh, if you're new to the journey, we, we uh, by default and by and large, preach through books of the Bible. That is just the, the way that we uh, operate. And so we just finished uh, Ecclesiastes, which took us through a, t- a lot of different topics and a lot of different big life questions and ended with the passage we read to call to worship this morning of, hey, this is, this is the whole purpose of life, fear God and obey his commands. And, and, and again, that's, that's easy to say. It's, it's, uh, there's a lot to unpack, a lot to apply to our life. And so we have finished that, and now we're headed into the fall. And what's coming next is we're going to jump into, in, in three or four weeks here, um, we're going to jump into a, a series on... Um, God's design for gender, marriage, the family. I, I don't honestly know all that we're going to get into yet, but we want to uh, step in and just continue to speak the, the truth into questions that are being raised at a, at a deep and um, really fun, fundamental and foundational level in our culture. And we want to we give you God's word. We want to give you uh, a firm foundation to stand on as those things just continue to, to kind of come at us. Not, not only what does God's word, God word say and how should we live, but how should we respond to the world that is, um, you know, has different postures and different questions and different um, worldviews, and how, how do we live in all that? And so we're gonna we're gonna jump into several weeks. That's gonna be most of our fall, um, and then uh, we'll, that'll take us pretty close to Advent, if not all the way up to Advent. And then we'll we'll celebrate Advent, and then in January we're gonna jump into the Gospel of John, and we'll be there for a good long while. Uh, it's a rich Gospel book, lots of Jesus stories and narratives, and so that's that's where we're headed. And but uh, generally every fall, sometimes we do it in January. We want to pause and just do a series about hey, why does the journey exist? Why did, we, why did we start this church? We're about to celebrate 10 years. Um, you know, at, at that time, I was watching some old uh, videos from that like, launch, and like, it was a common question, like, why? Like, why does Mary need another church, right? Like, why would we do that? Why would we start a church here? Why um, not just go to one of the existing ones? And those are good questions. Those are really, really good questions. And, and we uh, didn't start the journey because um, we think that we... Um, are better than those other churches, or that uh, they are doing it wrong, or whatever. Like, we really started the journey because we wanted to continue to reach people who were not yet reached for Jesus in our community. And so, yes, there are churches all over in Marion and in our surrounding, you know, area. You know, we're close to Carterville, Heron, Carbondale. Like, we're a regional area, especially where our church is located. It's uh, it's pretty strategic for us. We can reach, uh, you know, a lot of surrounding towns, and and so why? Like there are a lot of churches, but 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 why then? If we if we're not like you know just mad at those churches, then why would we do that? Because that's where a lot of churches started, right? Got mad at another church, so I'm gonna start my own, right? I'm gonna go down the road and start my own, and and and, and that's that wasn't the case here. There there was a, a real mission and and vision behind uh, the launching of the Journey to Illinois, and so the the reason was, man, there are a lot of people. There, there are, you know, only about, I think, 17,000, which is still a lot of people in Marion proper, but then around the Williamson County area, I think there's a couple hundred thousand, and, and the reality is if everybody showed up, even with all the churches that are here, if everybody showed up on a Sunday, there wouldn't be space for them. There, there is still a need for people to be reached. And then I would say even beyond that, like for me, like even though I know there's people who, who you know, don't belong to a church at all, I think there's a lot of people who who would say they belong to a church but don't actually know Jesus, that haven't actually been transformed by the gospel. 
that they have been, you know, just kind of lulled to sleep by a, a Bible belt. You know, this is what we do. This is, this is we, we go to church kind of thing. But they're what, you know, I think Matt Chandler is the first one I heard say it, this inoculated to the gospel, right? We're familiar with inoculations. We're familiar with that idea of let, let's get you a little bit of it so you get used to it so that the big, you know, big thing doesn't affect you. I think some people in our area are kind of like that with the gospel. They know enough about it. They know that, that you know, Jesus is the way out of hell and into heaven and that we're supposed to confess we're a sinner and pray to him that we would be saved and we can have salvation. A lot of people know those things, and, and that's, they, they kind of feel like they've got their, you know, they got their, their ticket, they got their inoculation. So maybe they'll come to church sometimes, maybe they won't. But, but if you ask them, hey, do you know where you're going to go when you die? A lot of people have sort of a scripted right answer, don't they? But then many of you have people in your family, in your life, maybe in your own home, that you have deep concerns about, don't you? Because you don't see any fruit. You don't see any joy. You don't see evidence of, of, of rebirth, of being born again. And so there begins to be this, this, this kind of dichotomy between people who just claim the label of Christianity, and then people who are actually living it. And then some people just say, oh, well, those are really religious people, and those are, you know, those are the, the zealots, if you will, and, and I'm just a normal Christian. Yeah, I'm a Christian, and when they say that, they mean, well, I'm not, a, I'm not a Buddhist, I'm not a Muslim, I'm not a Hindu, right? And so, of course, I'm a Christian, I'm American. Of course, I'm a Christian, I'm from Southern Illinois. Of course, I'm a Christian, I vote Republican, or whatever it is. Like, fill in the blank for you. Like, there's this idea that I am a Christian because I relate with these values, or I am from this place, or whatever. And, and so, man, Jesus is very clear that there's going to be a whole lot of people, that there's going to be a, a moment in time in his judgment where he's going to be separating the wheat from the chaff, that he's going to be separating the sheep from the goats, that there's going to be a moment in judgment whenever there will be droves of people who will be turned away because they did not actually know him. And they will say in that moment, you don't believe me, read Matthew 25. It's a super sobering and frankly troubling text where there's going to be a ton of people, he says, at the judgment who, who say, uh, you know, Jesus, what, what about all these things we did for you? And he goes, yeah, but I never knew you. Depart from me, you worker of iniquity. And he sends them to hell. And so we want to address that. I want to, we want to be a church that is reaching people with the gospel and seeing them transformed. And so that's where we're headed. That's, that's one of the reasons we're going we're gonna to jump into, we don't avoid hard topics. That's part of preaching through books of the Bible. Like we just have to preach it where it lies. And, and this book talks about these things. We'll just talk about these things, right? And I get to blame the Bible. It brought it up, not me, right? But there are times whenever we want to say, okay, the, the, the world is asking these questions. Let's give them the truth. You are asking these questions. Let's make sure you have the truth. And so we're going to dive into a, a series on, on gender and marriage and, and sexuality. We're going to do that. And, and we're going to, the, the, the other big emphasis that we're working on this fall, and we're going to be launching even more in January, is, is uh, really equipping you all to do discipleship in your home. Uh, we talk about it, we know that we should, and we know that, you know, just coming to church for this, this time, and even if you come to community group and youth group and th those things, it's, it's, not, it, it's a very small portion of what is formative in our life. And so we talk about, you know, doing discipleship at home. We talk about partnering with you all and resourcing you all, but we want to level up on how we're doing that. So that is the primary conversations that we're having in staff, and, and, and Chad, Rachel, and I are, are, Chad, Rachel, and I are beginning to really build out plans for that. So we're excited to share all that with you. But, but really, before we get there, though, we want to take a moment and remind ourselves, because we could step off in those cultural conversations and just start talking, right? And we can have our talking points, and it can just add to the rhetoric that is one side or the other. And, and people can just lean in and go, 
okay, what does the journey believe about these issues? Oh, okay, they preach this, then that tells me what, okay, then they, they've categorized us and they've moved on. And, 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 and before we just step off into those topical issues or we start that, like we want to make sure that our, our foundation is sure. We want to make sure that we are reminded about the, the most important thing. Jesus says, listen, if you build your house upon this rock, that when the storms come, your house won't fail. You will be able to stand firm. And, and the reality is that, man, there is... We're in the midst of a cultural shift and, 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 and battles and, and storms are going to come and uh, we shouldn't be surprised by that, but we need to make sure that we're doing the right work, the right work to, to um, make sure our foundation is solid, not only for our own selves, we need to be checking ourselves, but okay, what is, is our church doing the right work? Are we heading in the right direction? So uh, our mission, our tagline, what do we do, what do we say? Love God, connect people, transform the world. What does that look like? So we're going to take a week and walk through each of those things. So today, we want to talk about loving God because, again, we can just jump into top, topics and issues and add to the, the, the rhetoric of this side or that side, but really, if, if we do that, we've missed the big idea that all uh, of, our, of our instruction has to come from an identity of who we are as God's people, and that informs how we go out into the world. So I want to just set with probably just the first five verses. I was ambitious and put one through 11 and went ahead and had Chris read that, but the reality is I'm, I'm starting to get to know myself better as a pastor, and you guys are like, that's funny. We've known this for a long time. I, I, can't, I can't say anything without saying a lot. So we're just probably going to do one through five, but uh, I want to I hear this. I, I want to sit in this as a reminder of who we are as Christians. So this is Paul. Man, Romans is an amazing book, and I also found myself struggling because I really wanted to tell you what he said in, verses, in chapters one through four. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to just jump into chapter five and let this poignant and powerful word inform us as, as what are we about as a church? What does it mean to love God? What does it mean to even really be a Christian? That's, quite a, that's kind of the question I want to answer today. If we're talking about what does it mean to be a member of the journey? What does it member, mean to be a part of the journey? What is the journey trying to accomplish? Well, we want people to first love God. That that is the big E on the eye chart. That before we start informing them about how they should do their sexuality and their finances and these, that, and you know, that if we start with those things, they they will not be helpful if we don't start with a relationship with God. That that's the greatest need that humanity has, and that's what Paul is going to um, drive home for us here in, in chapter 5 of Romans. So let's go there. Uh, verse 1 says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's an incredible statement. And if you know anything about reading your Bible, or really literature in general, that word therefore means something. Right? And we, we see the word, therefore, we need to ask ourselves, what is it? Therefore, okay, it was a little weak, but that's okay, we won't make you do it again. But yeah, there, there's, we, you, if you just start reading a passage in that way, you should go, okay, what's he talking about? What's he referencing back to? In chapters 1 through 4, he really has been um, unpacking for these people um, the, the powerful, the, the crucial and foundational difference between a life identified as a follower of Jesus and a life identified as just an ethnic people of God. Or for us, we could say the difference between somebody who has been reborn, has given their life to Jesus, and is following him with their life versus somebody who is just a cultural Christian who checks the box. Like, there's, there's some really deep, History and theological and doctrinal 
issues that Paul is untangling in the book of Romans. It's a rich theological and doctrinal book. I hope to preach through it someday, but I feel like I'll need, to, I'll need like 20 years of experience before I'll be ready. It's so rich and so powerful, and it would take us a long time, but it would be so worth it. It's a treasure trove of truth. But what, what, he's, what he's getting at in, in boiled down principle form is he's telling people, hey, listen, I know that you have been used to being identified and, and known as the people of God because you're Jewish, because you're Israelites. And, and, and some people aren't Jewish and they're not Israelites. And, and so, you know, they're like, okay, well, I'm not a part of the people of God because I'm a barbarian, I'm a Gentile, I'm a slave, whatever it is. And, and he said, that's no longer how people are separated. It's no longer that God doesn't look at his people by this and circumcision and their, you know, their ethnic identity and say, okay, those are my people and those are not. He, he's looking at the world and saying, who has who's received Jesus and who has not? That, that's the, the big idea. But what does it mean even to receive Jesus? What, what does that look like? Because again, as we said earlier, there's a lot of people in our lives and, and many of you even in this building that would say, yeah, I'm a Christian. Like, of course, Jesus is the Savior. Of course, I'm a Christian. But what does that mean beyond just saying it? He, he said earlier in chapter 2, he says, no one is a Jew who's merely one outwardly. So he's talking about this, 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 this thing that people are, are clinging to. He said, well, I'm, I'm a Jew. Don't tell me I need Jesus because I'm a Jew. I'm, I'm a people of God. And he's saying, listen, it's not just about you know, saying that you're a Jew outwardly. And he says, nor is circumcision outward and physical. Now it is, right? <laughs> the people of God were actually physically circumcised. Okay, so that's a thing. But the purpose of circumcision was really to identify and set apart a people who had been given life in God. And, and so he's saying it's not an outward and physical thing. It's, it's an outward and physical sign of an inward reality, much like our baptism is, much like our taking of communion is. These are physical signs that God has gifted us with to, to let us see through into a, physical, or a spiritual reality. But he says in um, chapter 2 of Romans, he says, But a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart, by the Spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. What, what's he getting at? He's saying, listen, here, I, I know you're proud of, of circumcision, and I know there's some people that are telling you that they're better than you because they're circumcised and you are not. He's speaking to a mixed group, and, and, and there's some people who, you know, hey, we're Jews, we're part of the circumcision crew, don't come at us with this need for salvation. And there's other people saying, hey, they're saying we can't get in because we're not circumcised, and what does this do? And, and Paul spends a lot of time in the New Testament unpacking these issues. Uh, particularly in the book of Galatians. And, uh, but Romans is a, is a big picture doctrinal look at, at this the shift b- between the Old Testament covenant of God and now the New Testament covenant with Christ's blood. And, and he's, he's going deep and he's, he's talking about, hey, listen, it's not just about saying you're a Jew and showing your circumcision card. It's about actually being transformed inwardly. And he goes on to say, is, is, listen, it, if you have the circumcision and you break the law... You break the law of God. In other words, you have the, you have the identity, you have the, you know, the name tag, but you live in a way that's contradictory to God's law, then you've negated your circumcision. It doesn't mean anything. And likewise, he says, if somebody who's not circumcised is living righteously, then they're better than the person who is, is circumcised. What he's getting at is the point is not circumcision, the point is living righteously. But then he's going to go on in chapter 3 and say, hey, guess what? None of you live righteously. What about me? I'm circumcised. Nope, not you. What about me? I'm better than the guy who's circumcised. Yep, still not righteous. 
Romans 3, it goes to great lengths to make it clear that no one is righteous. No, and by righteous, here's what this means. No one is able to stand before God and get passed into heaven based on what they've done. Nobody. Now, that, Paul is going to great lengths to explain this in the first few chapters. And, and, and he's getting at this. It's, it's all about what Jesus has done and placing our faith in him, whether you're circumcised, whether you're not, whether you are considered by your culture and your people as a good person or not, when we stand before God and we are, we're letting that standard of judgment, his holiness, his righteousness be our, our, our gauge, our ruler of whether or not we pass, he says we all fail. Okay, so he's leading us to this place of being justified by faith alone, solified. This is, this, is a, this is a point of contention. If you're a history buff, you know about the Reformation. You know that this, this was really the hinge point of, of Martin Luther and others, like, but primarily Luther saying to the, to the Catholic Church, this is wrong. You are leading people to hell. You are teaching a false doctrine. This is not okay. The Roman Catholic Church was, was all about, yeah, some faith, but also some works. You've got to do these sacraments. And he's, and he's going on to say, no, 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 it, it is about faith alone. We are saved by faith alone through grace alone. And, and, and this is the, the impetus of the Reformation. It, it, it's birthed in here because it's so important that we get this right, that we get this clear. Now, you, some of you are like, okay, cool. I'm not a Catholic. I'm not, I'm not in that world of thinking that I'm, I'm you know, made righteous by my routine or by my actions or whatever. But here is, here's, here's the deal. This translates into our day and age and what we talked about in cultural Christianity and in the Bible Belt culture. We have our own list of things that we do that we think this is what makes us Christian. That we think this is what makes us okay. And we look at the rest of the world and we judge them for their ignorance and for their stupidity and for how could they be so dumb and they're going to go to hell and they're going to pay. We need the Reformation continually. We need to be reminded that it is by grace alone and it is through faith alone. And we need that continually repeated and, and, and like poured into, as we're going to see later, into ourselves so that we are reminded of exactly what it means to be a Christian, that it is not about some, some cultural path that we take, but it is about a complete and, inward, a complete and total inward transfer, transformation. So he says, therefore, since we've been justified by faith, not other stuff, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So this idea of justification is, 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 an, is, is God saying with his grace, he's pardoning all of our sins and accepts us as righteous in his sight. Okay, this is, this is him saying, I know like you are guilty and I'm making you, I'm pardoning you, I'm forgiving you, I'm making you not just forgiven for a little bit, but forgiven for it all, as Derek said earlier. So, uh, being justified, it's this not like it starts with an acknowledgement of our filthiness and our unrighteousness. That to be a Christian starts with, with an acknowledgement that we don't have any right to be a Christian, that we don't have any deserving uh, or entitlement to stand before God. That, that, and this is so uh, crucial to, to on ramping rightly into a life of following God. If we don't understand our need, we will not understand the gift that He's given. We don't understand our need for salvation and our complete and total inability to gain that salvation, then we will misunderstand what Jesus has given and what he's called us to and what it means to live a life following him. See, if we think that we are mostly good, if we think that we're okay because of our nationality or because of our morals or because of our affiliations, then we come into church entitled. Remember Solomon earlier said, don't, don't do that. Don't, don't approach the house of God flippantly. 
We come in thinking God owes us something, thinking the Bible should be about us. Thinking the Bible should be about us and how we do life better and how we can achieve and, and succeed and, and be prosperous. Thinking that, that that's what, what Jesus owes us, that we're, like, because we're a good person, he should, he should, he should let our life go the, we, the, the way that we want it to go. But for, when we start there, we miss the entire impact of the gospel. It's only, it's only when we start and we realize that, oh, we were not justified on our own, but we've been made justified through faith in Jesus Christ. And it is faith alone that saves us, okay? So here, like, Jesus said it himself. He says, I didn't come for the people who are well, but for the people who are what? They're sick, people who are struggling. I, and, and, and so Jesus is getting the same misunderstanding. He's, he's here on earth. Like, this, was, this is what got Jesus killed, ultimately, is that the people who had been religious uh, and, and were doing, you know, the good, you know, religious, ritualistic things start to hear that this guy is the Messiah, but guess what? He's not hanging out with them and serving their agendas. What's he doing? He's hanging out with sinners. He's hanging out with people who are outcast apart, like out of the church. He's hanging out with the drunks, with the prostitutes, with the, the lepers, the people that nobody wants anything to do with. And Jesus, and, and so he gets criticism a lot. They're saying, this guy can't be a prophet, let alone the Savior, because he's hanging out with drunkards and gluttons. And Jesus goes, whoa, 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 you've misunderstood. You've misunderstood. You've misunderstood the message of the prophets. You've misunderstood the promise of the coming king and what I was going to do because why would I come as a physician set with a mission to heal? Why would I come with a, as a Messiah set with a mission to save to people who didn't need saved and didn't need healing? He says, I'm not come to them. I'm not come to those who well. I've come to seek and to save that which was lost. Like a doctor doesn't, you know, spend his time with people who are doing fine. You don't you know, take your day off of work and go to the doctor whenever things going well. Well, you go to the doctor whenever something is wrong, whenever you're sick. That's whenever, when you realize, oh, I can't fix this myself. I've taken my aspirin. I've taken this. It doesn't work. And so I need some help beyond my own ability. So you go to the doctor. Jesus is using the same idea to say, it's the people who realize they need a savior. It's the people who've come to the end of their rope. Those are the people that I'm coming to. Those are the people that can receive salvation. So when we realize that, that we are enemies of God, and not just, like, this, this does something for us. When we realize that's how we got saved, then we start to look at the world, not in condescension, and not in, man, how stupid are they, and not, like, man, how, you know, how could they live so, you know, fill in the blank. We start to look at the world through the eyes of Jesus. We start to see the world through eyes of compassion and through eyes of the gospel. And instead of judging their ignorance and their hard heartedness, we, we go, okay, they need Jesus. They don't need my argument about a social issue. They don't need my argument about a political issue. They need Jesus. And we start to see the world differently. And that leads us to what we'll talk about in a couple of weeks. How do we transform the world? How do we sit out in that? But this, if we don't start here by being reminded of, hey, we're justified by faith alone through grace alone, then, we, then we'll get off on the wrong foot and we'll have the wrong idea about what it means to be a people of God. We'll, we'll think that we're, we're better than other people. We'll, we'll think that we are entitled and, and that we'll, it will poison and sour the whole deal. So he says we're justified by our faith. The only thing we contributed to our salvation was our need. The only thing we brought to this deal was our need. Okay? So Justified by faith, not works. This justification, though, leads to something incredible. He says, since we're justified by faith, 
we have what? Peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, this is an incredible statement in and of itself, right? The, this, this idea of having peace with God, it, again, we have to start with remembering that we are enemies of God. And you may think, well, no, I'm not. Again, I, I'm, bored. I'm, I'm not. I'm not, a, I'm not a, you know, a radical jihadist. I'm not a radical, you know, fill in the blank. I, I'm, a, I'm, I'm part of, like, I'm a good old boy. I'm a good old girl. Like, I, I'm born here. But here's what the Bible says. Because of your sin, you are at enmity with God. You are on the opposite side of the deal. You are in his wrath. You're on his enemy list. You're completely and totally separated. And so if we don't start there by realizing because we are sinners, and by we, I, again, we, we can't just have this idea of they. Again, the culture tells us, okay, this is what's bad. You know, we identify with certain parties or certain things in the culture that says, okay, these are the good values and people who don't share them, that's they, and we need to get they, you know, out of office or they out of the influence and they whatever, and then we will you know, do the good things. And, and, and he's saying, no, 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 you need to realize that all of us are in need of a Savior because we're all enemies of God. When we realize that, this idea of peace with God, it, it be, be, begins to grow in its transformation because now no longer are we on the side of his enemy and, and the target of his wrath. We are forgiven. We're forgiven. And, and he's placed on us a pardon that is, as Derek said, full and complete. And not just some of our sin, not just the obvious sin, but all of our sin is forgiven. And we are brought from a place of wrath into a place of peace. Through him, but, 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 but listen, this, this idea of, of peace is, um, it's, it's not just no longer at odds. Like, this idea of, of peace goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. So I don't know if you know, but like, yeah, we've talked about how we're all sinners and we're all in need of a Savior, but we weren't made that way. We weren't, it didn't start that way. When, when God created the world, he and human beings, him and Adam and Eve, like the, the, we were his image bearers. We were made to be in this fellowship with him and this relationship with him. But one of the words that was used to describe that, one of the words that the Jewish nation you know, uh, be, began to just use as a, as a regular reminder of what God was achieving in them was this idea of shalom. This idea of peace, this idea of there's no longer strife and conflict and, and enemies and, and, and these sides drawn. This idea of peace between God and man, not just between one another. We'll talk about that next week, but, but the vertically, peace between God and his creation. Because what happened in Genesis 3 is that we rebelled against God, we destroyed that peace, and we were made in, into enemies. But he said in that moment, it won't always be so. I will come. I will send seed from this woman's womb that will crush the head of this enemy, and I will restore this relationship. And so what Jesus has done in bringing us peace is not just getting us off the enemy list, but it's actually this idea of restoring us into fellowship, into relationship with God. And it's described in verse 2 as we've obtained access. So here's the deal. You can, you can no longer be an enemy with somebody, but you might still not want to hang out with them, Right? You understand that difference? Like, you, you could say, okay, what, I, I forgive you. I'm no longer coming for you. I'm no longer your enemy. But that doesn't mean they end up at your table, does it? Right? You can have peace, but they may still not have access. Does that make sense? So here's what he's saying is not only do we have peace and we're off the enemy list, but we're actually given access to God. Like, we are, we are brought in. And, and I started to say that we get invited into his table, but actually he comes to our table. Like, it's not even, he just says, hey, you know, if you want to hang out with me, you can. He's saying, no, no, I'm coming for you. 
I'm coming to you. This is, this is a picture of Zacchaeus. He says, Zacchaeus, I see you. I see you in the tree. Come on down. I'm coming to your house today. And it freaks everybody out because it's Zacchaeus? That dude, like, that dude stole money from all of us. Him? Jesus goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm coming to his house today. This is what he says to you. He says, I'm not just going to forgive your sins and then tolerate you until you get to heaven. Some of you, that's what you believe. It's like, okay, yeah, I know he's forgiven me, and, you know, okay, I mean, I thank you. You come into posture, into worship with this posture, and, and it's not wrong to start here, but then you realize, okay, not only have we been forgiven, but we've, we, we've not only have we been made, uh, you know, from enemies into peace, but we've been given access. That Hebrews passage of, hey, we, we can now boldly approach the, the throne of grace. We can come to him to receive grace in our time of need. Like this idea of access, of him coming to us, coming to, to dwell and to dine with us, to, to, to tabernacle, to live, to, to be with us. This should just should begin to blow our minds as we see where we began as enemies and, and far removed from God and he is coming toward us. This is the gospel that he's coming toward us, that, that he has made a way for us to be justified by his own work, by his own blood. And now we've obtained access by faith into this grace, it says in verse 2, in which we stand. We just sang about. I didn't... What did, I didn't know I was preaching this passage when we picked this song. We just sang about, look where I'm standing now. We're standing in this place of proximity and access to God the Father. And, and this, we're standing there. We, 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 we can remain there because it's not up to us. Like It's not like we, he, gets to, he lets us in and he goes, okay, as long as you don't screw up, you could stay. No, we're brought in. And the standing with which we're brought in is Jesus' grace, period. So we stand there and we remain there. Even when we fail, we remain in grace and we remain in this, this place of, of access and, and of hope. Or, well, I'm getting ahead of myself. Access and of, and, of, and, of, and of peace and of forgiveness. And he says, and all of this leads to rejoicing in hope of the glory of God. He says, like when we get this picture of the gospel and it gets inside of us, it will lead to a people who are not just bored with church, not just bored with, with, the, with you know, uh, the good news of Jesus. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I'm a Christian, sure. I belong to the Journey Church, or I, you know, I go here when I can or whatever. No, no, when we get this, this, when this gets inside of us, when Jesus reveals himself in this way and we realize we're enemies, but he's made us, uh, you know, uh, friends, when, he's, when we realize he's made us into one of his own, like when, when we begin to rejoice, we begin to get overwhelmed with, with joy and with a reaction that leads us to hope that is in the glory of God. That this is what Solomon was talking about, that understanding that everything else in this world is vanity, but when you, when you get a glimpse of who God is, it transcends this world. It transcends what you're struggling with, what you're longing for, whatever, whatever's not going right here. It transcends it, and it brings you into a place of hope in the glory of God. Not only that, he says, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that the suffering produces endurance. And endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. What's he saying? That Christians are not a people who merely claim an affiliation and they fall in, they fall out based off of cultural movements or their own movements, their own truth or whatever. These are people who are so transformed 
by who Jesus is and what he's done, that as the world falls apart around them, as the world brings persecution against them, their faith grows, their joy grows, and their hope grows, and then it turns into the cycle the cycle of sanctification, the cycle of, of producing a godly people. So here's where we're back to vision and mission. The, the stats will say, I mean, I started to show some, but there's so many different ones, and you know how you know, stats are. It's just, but studies would say, say and, and um, polls and all of those things would say that Christianity is on the decline in uh, America, that the Christianity is, you know, that the number of Christians is, is drastically decreased. And, and some of them phrase it rightly because some of them say that the number of people who say they're Christians has decreased. And I, and I can get on board with that because I, I don't think it's actually that Christianity is on a decline. That's not how Jesus operates. But the number of people who affiliate, the number of people who say they're Christians, yeah, I could see that. And here's why. Christendom is no longer the thing in America. What, what was that? that this, this idea of that, hey, morally and religiously, America, the majority of America agrees with, hey, this is the Christian worldview. These are the Christian morals. Of course, we're Christians because we live here and we're not, you know, the things I said earlier. And so, so people identify as a Christian just because they're American and the things are, too, are really closely tied. That was, that was true uh, for, for years and years and years, generations in our country. It's no longer true anymore. It's no longer like uh, the cultural norm to just claim Christianity. Now, listen, we hang on a little longer in our rural area, don't we? I'm not saying that's wrong. But you go to urban areas, and, and Christendom has been dead for a long time. Uh, but, but now, as, as things you know, make their way into legislation, and as things make their way into our public schools, it causes this unsettledness in us. It causes this fear, like what's happening to our world? What's happening to America? And, and, and those aren't wrong questions. But Paul says the Christian's not rattled by those, though. Because our hope was never in those things. Our hope was never in prayer being in schools, or the Ten Commandments being in schools. Our hope was never in these things. Like, our hope is in Jesus, and Jesus hasn't changed. So, yeah, the number of people claiming Christianity, that might be going down. But the actual Christians, the people who are following Jesus, he hasn't lost them. First John says if they, if they leave, if they were part of the church and, you know, if they were on the roll and they leave, their, their, their exit proves that they were never really one of us. Again, people in the early church are asking these questions like, hey, these people were in, we baptized them, we thought they were here, but, but now they, they've gone on and they've claimed some other more, you know, culturally progressive idea of the faith or they've walked away from idea of belief at all. And, and John says, hey, listen, when, when that happens, they're proving to you they were never actually a part of you. But man, they did some good things. They preached a sermon, or they, they baptized somebody, or we saw them heal somebody. He, yeah, that's, a, that's okay. Jesus says there's, there's space for that. Like, there's there's, there's going to be plenty of people who've done uh, some, some things that caught other people's eyes in the name of Jesus that don't actually know Jesus. They were doing it for their own namesake. They were doing it in pursuit of something else. And so um, this, is, this is what we're going to see an increase of is fewer and fewer people claiming to be Christians because it's the, more, it's the, it's the moral and... Uh, cultural norm, and yet more and more people, I think, through that process are going to grow and show up as actual followers of Jesus. And as the world g goes further and further away from God's truth, and that matters, as, as America deviates further and further from the, the, the way that God has laid out for life to work, 
around things of, of, of family and, and money and all of those things. Yeah, it, it matters, and it will have an impact. But as those things happen, it's, it's, it's our job as Christians not to try to hold on to a tethering nation that God has no covenant with, but it's, it, rather it's our job to hold on to the word of God and to make sure that we stand firm here. And, and when those things begin to happen now, now we get back into, hey, not only do we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God because we have a hope beyond this world, we have a hope beyond these legislations, we have a hope beyond this nonsense, but more than that, not only that, he says in verse 3, we rejoice in our sufferings. He's talking about our sufferings that are going to come because we're followers of Jesus. I was listening to my buddy Brody's podcast. Brody's the, the, the leader out at Snowbird where we, we sent our kids to camp last year, and we've done some other ministry things with them. And, and, and they've got a, 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 a girl that came through that ministry, has been around them a long time. She's playing professional soccer. And he said, man, she is, she is, is getting absolutely persecuted by Almost everybody in that organization, like minus one or two people, because of her faith. Because she won't bow to the, 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 the cultural norms of, about gender sexuality and, you know, women's rights. And those, all of those things that are, that are so, you know, on the hot button issues in our world. She's saying, no, no, I'm, I'm following Jesus. And, and it's like, she, it, it may cut her soccer career short. Like, she may not get signed by another team. Okay, she's, you know, she's in a big city. That's one thing. She's, she's in, a, in a world, uh, in that organization that's, you know, highly influenced by, you know, cultural values. I get that. But that's going to give us a glimpse of the future. That gives us a glimpse of, of what's going to become increasingly true in our world. And, and what Paul wants to remind us of is, hey, we were never justified because we were Americans. We were never justified because we had the right view of marriage and gender and sexuality. We were never justified because we had the economic system picked out right. So on and so forth. Paul says, hey, since you've been justified by faith, here's what's going to happen. The world's going to continue to be the world. And they're going to they're, they're increase in their persecution of you. They're going to increase in their hostility towards your beliefs. But you know what it's going to do to the church? It's going to, it's, it's going to be like oxygen on fire. It's going to breathe strength into God's people. It's actually going to breathe revival into God's people. It's going to, it's going to, be going to strengthen the church from the inside out. That The people who are actually following Jesus won't be crushed by these movements, won't be crushed by these things, but rather will be set on fire to be a people of hope, to be a people who, who are sent out, right? Because here's what's going to happen. As the world deviates from the way that God has laid it out, it's going to go badly for them. Like, we know that. We know that the sexual revolution doesn't lead to life. It leads to more pain. It leads to more, um, you know, just heartache and struggle and identity issues. So there's going to be a lot of people who get broken by that, who, who believe the promise of, hey, do this, seek yourself, seek these things, and, and they're, they're going to come to the end of it like Solomon did and say, you know what, that was vain, and now I'm left empty. The church needs to be ready to receive them back in. The church needs to stand firm in the truth so that when they've gone there, they know where they can return back and, and receive the actual transformation, the actual hope of Jesus Christ. This is 
what he's saying, that we are anchored by our faith and our justification. It's not in stuff outside of us. It's not in, in our moral, you know, comp- like it's in faith alone, through Christ alone. And he says that this will produce a hope in us. This will build character in us. Our sufferings, you know, we know that suffering produces endurance. You get that, right? And, and, and then he says, and endurance produces character. You get that too. If you want to grow in your, you know, your character, you want to grow in, in if you want to grow in your physical ability, you've got to, you've got to stretch yourself. You've got to push yourself. You've got to do some things you've never done before, and you've got to stay there for a little while so that you can grow, and it, and it, and it produces a strength. Same is true of your character. What's going to produce character? It's going to be living some life. It's going to be going through some things. Right? And you know that, and you know that like whenever you go through things with people, you're bonded to those people. You know that, right? Some of you have been a part of a group that have suffered greatly, a friend group that has lost you know, a, a friend. Maybe that was in high school. Maybe that was uh, more recently. Or, or, or you've, you've been a part of a, uh, even going on like a mission trip together, and it was really hard. Like, you know, like, I, I only spent two weeks with those people, but like those people feel like family to you, right? Because suffering and hardship kind of puts us in the fire, and we're galvanized. We're, we're, we're locked together in a way. And, and you know that marriages are strengthened. I heard it. Listen to a guy tell a story today about really crazy stuff that's gone on in his uh, in his life, and he says, but we have a, we have a relationship now, talking about his, his wife, that, that's, man, he goes, it's more solid than ever because of the suffering they've gone through. Now, it can also tear you apart, but as we stay, as, as we lean in, those of us that are, that are actually in relationship with Jesus, suffering grows our relationship with him. It binds us together further with him, and it creates a hope in us and that hope does not disappoint. It does not put us to shame. We don't have to wonder whether we're choosing the right way, whether one day, you know, like, no, it doesn't put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. That, that language is intentional there. And you think about how something is applied into something. You, you can use, you know, like, you don't pour everything into something, Right? You, you, you have to use, you know, delicacy with certain things. You put oil in your car. You don't want to just, you know, throw it in there. You're going to miss. You're going to get it all over. It's going gonna, it's gonna, to, you know, go badly. Uh, you're putting a drop in your eye. You don't want to just pour that medicine, you know, onto your face, right? You use a drop. There's intentionality. But, but when, you, when you pour something in, that's a, that's a liberal application, isn't it? And, and he's saying he didn't just give you a little bit of, of God and see if you can do anything with it. He's, saying he's poured his love into us through the Spirit, that, that what he did in justifying us was removing our sin, removing the sins that had made us as scarlet and red and filthy and on the outside and enemies. He says, come here. Come here. Let, your sins are scarlet. Let me make them white as snow. And when he removes those, he's now made a way for himself to come in and take up residence, that he's made a way for him to dwell inside of us. That's what Jesus said. Like, Jesus is Emmanuel, right? That means God with us. His, his tabernacle is no longer in a tent or in a temple. It's, it's in Jesus. And then Jesus is here, and it's awesome, and everybody's following him, and it's really great. And his followers are like, man, this is awesome. And Jesus goes, yeah, I got to go. And they're like, wait, if you go, what will we do? He goes, it'll actually be better. It'll be better because when I go, I'm going to send the helper, and the helper is the Holy Spirit, and that's, that's the other member of, of the Godhead, and he's going to come. And he's not just going to be in one place physically, but he's going to be in all of my followers and all my believers, he's going to take up residence and he's going to live there. And that's, that's what produces the hope. That's what, that is the seal we learn later in the New Testament that keeps us until the day of his coming. 
That is the seal that keeps us firm through the suffering, through the trials, and through the hardship, is the Holy Spirit. He goes on. I'm not going to preach through all these. I want to end, though, in verse 8. He says he shows his love for us in that, in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I want you to hear the language there again. He says shows. That, that, that's this idea of present tense, isn't it? And he shows his love for us. But how does he show it? By, by reminding us, by pointing us back to something that happened in the past. The past tense is that he has died for us. It's sufficient. Like he doesn't need to show his love by, by doing something new. Like he, he, doesn't, like he can simply remind us and stir us uh, of, of his love for us and to keep us in a love for him by reminding us of the cross. That, that this idea that we can never get tired of the cross, we never move beyond it into other doctrines, like the cross and the good news of Jesus Christ is what anchors us into everything else. He's saying he shows his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This is the good news of the gospel. This is what we need to hear personally. And this is what the people around us are longing to hear. And this is why we exist as a church, to love God. You say, okay, I got it. No, and you, keep to, you get to keep getting it. You say, why do you preach the gospel every week? Because it's the gospel, because we don't ever get over it. Like it, it, it anchors all that we do. It, it, is, it is the bedrock with which we build out any other doctrine and any other application in life. It has to come back to the gospel. He shows his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Here's the deal. Some of you are here, and you have believed the lie that to be a Christian means you have to live this way, that, that you've got to be a good person or whatever. And, and, and you have, have said, okay, one day maybe I can do that. One day maybe I'll, I'll get there. One day I'll get my life straightened out. And he says, no, no, no. It, it, that day will never come. He says, no, no, I've come to you. Well, well, I'm not worthy. He says, I know. I didn't die for future you that got your life straightened out. I didn't, I'm not in love with some future version of yourself where, you're, where you hate yourself less. He says, I see you exactly where you are. I see your pain. I see your fear. I see your guilt. I see what was done to you. I see the burdens you're carrying. I see all of it. I see the abuse that happened to you as a kid. I see the death, the pain. I see the, 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 the gambling debt that you're in, the credit card debt that you're in. I see the affair that you're in. I see the porn you look at. I see all of the stuff, all of the fear. I've seen you when you almost took your own life, when you were alone, and I've seen the notes that you've written. I've seen the tears that you've cried. I've seen the way you've cut yourself. I've seen all of that, he says. Let me show you how I love you. Jesus says, this much. As the nails hit his hands and hit his feet and his blood poured out from his body, he says, this is how much I love you, right where you are. Right where you are. Will you receive him? Will you be saved? Not ascribed to some cultural thing. You be saved. What does that mean? That means you Come. It means you, you acknowledge that he sees you right now, and you say, okay, I don't know what this means, and, and I've, nobody in my life knows, nobody, what, like, but, but I'm going to come. I'm going to come and receive. Like, you, we used to do altar calls, and, and, and you're like, oh, man, that person's like, I, I don't know. None of that matters. You come to Jesus. You're not coming to this space. You're not coming to me. You're not coming to Chad. You're not coming. Like, come to Jesus. Will you be saved? Will you let him take your junk? Will you let him take your fear? Will you let him take your past? 
And most of all, will you give him your future? Because nothing else matters if we don't start here and understand that, man, we're justified by faith alone, through grace alone. You say, what do I got to do? You got to receive Jesus. Put your faith in Jesus. Let's pray. God, help us. We need you to overwhelm our whole selves. Solomon said, this is, this is what it means to be wholly human. Fear God. Keep your commands. It, it, some of us, are, we don't even know what it means to be fully ourselves. We don't even know what that would look like. We don't even know how to begin to unpack all that we're bringing and burdened with because we've never been given permission or space to acknowledge that we are broken people. Help us to hear this message this morning from you and to allow, allow ourselves to hear your voice and to surrender our lives, our past, our pains, our, our burdens, our fears, our sins over to you. Help us to live as a people who are justified by faith and give it access to you. Have it having peace declared over ourselves. So many of us, have we, we've spent a life of striving and struggling because we don't have peace. Would you bring us that peace this morning through the gospel? Would you bring us that peace spoken over us, saying, no longer are you struggling against me. I, I'm taking that burden from you. I'm going to break those chains, and we're, we're going to be together forever, and it starts now. Would you do that sort of work across this room? Would you do that sort of work across the next few weeks and months and years that, that you have a purpose for the Journey Church, and I believe that, Jesus. So would you help us to lean in and experience that as we look to declare this message of good news and hope to a world that's longing to hear it. May it start here today. Jesus, be big. It's in your name.